Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Greetings, programs. Welcome back to House Lights, our director discussion show here on the Nerd Party Network. Today, we are entering the Wing of Tron as we cover the two films of the Tron franchise, which kicked off in 1982 with director Steven Lisberger. I'm Darren Moser, and I am joined again by my friends, the MPP Master Podcast Program, Tristan Riddell, and my favorite program, he fights for the users, John. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> gentlemen, I hope your computers aren't situated in front of giant lasers, <laughs> uh, because who knows what will happen as we talk about 1982's Tron. Yeah, that uh, that part right off the bat, I'm like, why? Of all now, the places to put the hang terminal. On, hang on one second. The guy with the giant 3D printer in his house is telling me not to be situated near like big lasers and stuff okay, like that. Okay, true. I, mean, I do have a laser a danger here. Come in on. the back, but it is not like aimed at my desk. I, I know uh, it's not aimed at the back of his head. <laughs> it's an innocent time in 82. People aren't <laughs> thinking to look for lasers and stuff like that around every look, corner. It's tr- not tr- like today. Tron OSHA is going to be like, now wait, now wait, where did you put the laser and where is it aiming? Uh, well, how yeah, could I he s- know? How well, you know, it, now granted, uh, the story would have been much different if there was no laser, but so we're glad it's there. Uh, yeah, so this is the 1982 Tron released on July 9th, 41 years ago, just like another small little film, Star Trek 2, which we we seem to like this year. It's a it was a good time for the beginning age of CGI, and we all know where that went, but. So, John, we're going to start with you. Do you recall the first time that you activated your program, logged into the MCP, level seven access and all that? Was Mm -hmm. it in theaters or was it a little bit later? I'm pretty sure it wasn't in theaters because my memory is that this was a video rental. Uh, We were early adopters. My dad loved movies. And as soon like we were the first people on the block with a VHS. Okay. Like. We had like that, that, that 10 to 20 pound VCR ran without a problem for decades. Like it, it is literally one of those things where it is that, that guidepost of, you know, back in my day, they made things to last. Well, honestly, this VCR lasted for literally 35 plus years without an issue. And you could have killed people with it. So like it was the best of both worlds, but yeah, this would have been a rental. Uh, and I, my dad, I applaud you for saying VCR and not VHS player, which so many people do ever oh, since well. DVD came out. Like it's DVD player, Blu-ray player. And then all of a sudden we rewrote history to call it a VHS player. So I, I applaud you for using it correctly. Well, thank you. But I, I will point out my dad was one that went for VHS. He knew that was going to be the winning format. He, he had no time for beta and, uh, so this would have been a rental. I know for a fact my dad would have been the one to get it. My, this would have been right up my dad's alley. And we would have just, I, I remember seeing it. And as a kid, fa- it, it was fascinating to me. It, like this is one of those ones where for good or for ill, I know that it helped shape things I like to see on screen. And so my earliest memory is, yes, in in my old house on 3820 Mount Only Lane, seeing this on our VCR. With the boat anchor of a a VCR. Yes. Yeah, this was probably also a rental for me. But yeah, I think you really nailed it, John, when you said this was such a formative movie. It's science fiction, but also kind of a dose of fantasy in a way. Like still science fiction, but 
it's like visualizing computer programs. And I, I always got really focused on the lore of, oh, like, okay, that's the IO tower. I kind of understand what that is. And, oh, and this is to represent that. And then it starts to kind of break down when they have like these random costumed people walking around like light bulbs and slinkies. And I'm like, I don't really know what those are supposed to be, but that's okay. Oh, look, there's a light disc battle going on. Attention diverted. But yeah, this movie, I mean, gosh, probably every single person who ever wanted to get into special effects was impacted by this movie. People who wanted to become directors and just, it's, it's a fun story as well. It's, it's, I don't think you can take it too seriously. Uh, Kevin Flynn definitely doesn't. Uh, okay. But but what about you, Tristan? Was when was the first time that you caught this? Was it on TV being broadcast, or did you grab the DVD before they became impossible to find before Tron Legacy came out? <laughs> I, this was this is one of those movies that just existed in my house. Like it just, I have no memory of first watching it. It just always was. This was like this again, like this was like, like John, you know, my dad absolutely loved this movie. Uh, we probably had it taped, taped off of television. And then I, I know we owned the VHS. And so, but I think that's probably like, we probably taped it off of television, then, then bought the VHS as soon as it came out. And I just watched it on loop. Like I, I've seen this movie so many times and it wasn't until I got older that I looked it up and realized that it was a flop and I'm like why why didn't people adore this the way that I do like I, I think this was the first time I remember getting angry at people at, at the public for not appreciating a movie um, like I did and I really do believe that that was the the first instance uh, that that started the internet troll phase of uh, of everyone else where about how if you don't like a movie then you're stupid you know, it's I, I love that you you talk about how it's shocking when you find out that this movie was a flop. This and this came out at a period where Disney was having a lot of trouble. They were trying to find a direction. They were trying to stay committed to their uh, their whole concept of being original entertainment, but at the same time, the landscape has changed from underneath them. It's it, it, it's now a post Star Wars world, and there's this and. Spielberg has come up. And so Disney is not the only family friendly movie maker out there. And they're, they're, they're flailing in a sense at this point in time, they're trying to figure out what to do. And I think that this is one of those things where like the black hole, like, uh, you know, uh, the black cauldron, which was that that's a whole tragic story in and of itself, but it comes out in this time period where Disney is just trying to figure it out. And, I think as a result, they didn't know how to market it. They didn't know how to get to people. And I think that this is one of those, one of those movies where it's saved by the home video market, but I love you talking about it because it all, I, whenever I hear Tron, I always think of the Simpsons Treehouse of horror where Homer gets sucked into the 3d world. And he says, have any of you seen Tron? No, 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 no. Yes. I mean, no. And it, it was just one of those things where it's a perfect joke because everybody who has seen Tron has encountered that moment where it's like, hey, have you ever seen Tron? And nobody else in the room has seen it. And you're like, oh, never mind then. I mean, no. Yeah. yeah. No, it's... And so you have this story where I think as a brilliant act, probably for cost savings, but just I love the fact that you have the same actors play the the users as well as their programs and which i honestly feel young darren it probably took a while for me to realize that because even though tron is you know is bruce he he looks very different in the real world like he's got glasses on he's got hair and so I think it actually took me a couple viewings before I made the direct connection that it was the same actor playing it because yes, obviously Cl not clue, but, or even with clue, I think it, it always, it took me like a second pass to realize that because they do look so different without uh, hair, especially and, and wearing the, the Tron program jumpsuits. 
that yes, obviously looking back on it, it's obvious that they are the same people, but I think it's a fun way of connecting to, you know, who's writing it, who's running it because otherwise it starts to get even more convoluted. You're, you're describing these highbrow electronic type scenarios that, you know, people don't really think about how, how does a computer work? Is it really like a tiny town in there? Like your average person isn't thinking these thoughts. So you have to kind of keep it simple. But what, what did you think, uh, Tristan of the, the, the duality of the role? I loved it. I absolutely loved it because there's so many times that you, I mean, to today, of course, um, where, you know, people put their heart and souls into things that they make and uh, things and, and programming things are no different. And so the idea that something like if you made a program, you know, it has a piece of you in it and it looks like you, it, I think it just absolutely makes sense. And it's, it's, it's definitely a cost-saving measure, but also at the same time, it just, it helps the audience where when you, you know, like when you see Tron, and for those of us who did recognize Bruce Boxliner, <laughs> um, when you when you see Tron, you're just like, oh wait, that's Tron. That that has to be Tron. Like he, even though he's pointed out and he's like, oh yeah, like Ram says, you know, like that's Tron and what what whatnot. Um, he does have a T on his chest. That helps a lot. So that helps that helps a great deal. But um, but when we when we see Clue, um, it it makes sense and it it always felt weird to me because when we first hear Clue it's it's very like affirmative yes let right. me adam you know like it's very robotic but then all of a sudden it kind of transitions into much more jeff bridges and i lose it even though i've seen it dozens of times i lose it and laugh so hard every single time clue screams his head off <laughs> <laughs> he's about to yeah. crash yeah <laughs> it's just it's just so genuine and so and so hilarious that it just makes you think I just, when I I'm running it. a computer and I and I open like the Taskmaster and it's showing like my impact of my CPU <laughs> and I see it jar up into the 90s of like that's the computer program screaming like Kevin Flynn because it's really upset right now. I think with general audiences though that okay there's definitely a Wizard of Oz aspect to the dual casting. And yeah. I think, you know, naturally that makes it work really well. Oh, that's true. That's true. But I think that, um, I think that it does or did potentially cause a problem for some members of the audience because the name of the movie is Tron, but Kevin Flynn and Clue are your main characters. And so I think that would also have created some sort of a disconnect for people. It would have been challenging for them because that's just how we're wired. We're, we're wired to have, you know, the, the name of, of whoever's in the title be, yeah, it's the same thing that throws people off with the last samurai. It's like, it's not about Tom Cruise. Okay. He's yes. He's the main character, but the last samurai is Ken Watanabe. Okay. That's who it is. um, The legend of Zelda. I mean, how many times do people think that? Oh my gosh! Link right, yeah. is Zelda because why would he not be Zelda? And yeah, right. Same it, same concept. It's Zelda's legend. Am I not playing same Zelda? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I I do think that that is one of the things about the fantasy aspect about taking it into that Wizard of Oz sort of thing is really interesting. But I think that another challenge for the audience, especially the children in the audience, is what a parable for adult career pathing this movie is <laughs> yeah yeah like that is i i think i honestly think probably my dad probably other dads who watched this movie in 82 they are right at that age where they realize they're trapped in the machine and it's very invigorating to say oh wait no we could have individuality in this giant you know uh, uh you know machine that that's all set up but additionally I think this movie is just a couple of years too early because two years later you have the famous 1984 ad with Mac and all of a sudden the personal computer revolution happens. If this had been released in 84, I think this movie becomes a hit. I think you're right. Yeah. It was interesting with um, Dillinger again, another uh, for young Darren, like recognizing that David Warner played both roles because they, they do look very different. If it's literally just the face and one is like a charcoal gray, but uh, it was real. I don't know if it was intentional, 
but it made me think of um, Ready Player One. And the and the mm-hmm. key villain in that has a very Dillinger haircut and look like it kind of feels like they're almost homaging that like the big bad corporate guy. It's like they got one look and it's that look. Yeah. It's yeah. And it, whether it's NCOM or IOI, uh, it obviously, you know, one came before the other. But uh, yeah, I I still want a giant touch computer guys that's literally my desk with keys that you know light up and i wanted to talk to me like a, a, a spinoff of hal 9000 and and threaten me with the kremlin like that's gonna be so fun i actually like it, when we when i watched this in preparation for this podcast um i was actually thinking i was just like it's like man this was made in 1982 obviously the the computer desk isn't real but it, this was made in 1982 we're in 2023. Why don't we have this? <laughs> what, what what are we doing wrong? Like, there's so uh, much that the we've done. The ergonomicists we, we, came through and were like, "You, you know, you don't want to be staring at your literal desk all day. It will yeah, kill your back." That is true. Okay, give me a keyboard and a mouse. Keyboard, how quaint! Yeah, like in in there, and then like elevate the screen just a little bit. Like, give me that. Give me that. Give me plexiglass. Give give me Star Trek, basically. Well, again, a touch screen. That's basically it's like an iPad desk is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that backlit uh, black, you know, t- color on black has always been a very cool design. Very much so, and I, I think that speaking of design, one of the things that's so interesting about this movie is everybody loves to talk about you know, movies later being, oh, look, they're doing them in front of green screen and and they're in a blue box and stuff like that. This really is that pioneer of a movie where everything that's going on in there is occasionally cardboard, but a whole lot of it is just, you know, drawn in or animated and stuff like that. And you have a bunch of people running around in these little pseudo environments. And so when you compare it- It's all going to be added later. It's one of those things where- it really is such a vision of the future and you don't, I don't think that people understand or appreciate because I, Lisberger is a director and I get, you know, we'll, we'll get to him and everything. I, I've never seen anything else that he's done, at least not wittingly. And he doesn't have a terribly long filmography, but I have to imagine how challenging it is for a director in 1982 to come in and have basically a bunch of nothing to very little to work with and say, oh, well, this will all be added in post and th- yeah. this will be there. It's very theater of the mind. Like you got to imagine it. Well, and it makes me think of now, nowadays, just last year, we had uh, Avatar The Way of Water, which is kind mm-hmm. of the full circle of this technology where you have a performance capture in real space but it's using cameras that are artificial because they're recording in three dimensions the the computer version of like it it's basically the exact same thing just the technology to its logical conclusion you know decades later well we'll just we'll give cameron another 20 years so that he can figure out how to digitize the actors and put them in there just like kevin flynn that's really the next step. I mean, for, for I film. wouldn't put it past him. I literally wouldn't. I'm sure it's already <laughs> well, being developed. Um, speaking about like, you know, like influences on people and how this wasn't appreciated at his time. One thing that just last week, like I saw the movie Babylon uh, and that came out just last year at the end of last year. And at the very end of the movie, they have a very, it's a very much a love letter to cinema. Hmm. And they have a montage at the end of key cinematic moments that kind of altered history the, the like the story the artistry the the technological aspect of it yeah, jason and, and the argonauts you know like yeah all yeah stuff we all know stuff like shots. that like even like the the moon shot you know like the um you know like the the winking moon with the rocket in his face and, right and everything like that like the 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 plated glass that was that was colored with the dancing pixies and everything like that um but they had a shot of the light bikes yeah yes in there and and that was just before the first avatar you know like and so it's i was so ecstatic that, that was in there now obviously the person the people this was made by filmmakers the movie is made by filmmakers and filmmakers understand 
how Tron changed everything and changed so much and how pivotal it was, even though it wasn't appreciated at the time, it was pivotal in, in cinema. And I'm so glad that that was seen in a modern movie. And because well, in I the just, same yeah, year, 82, you also had, like we stated before, uh, Star Trek two, which had computer effects for the first time as well with the, you know, some of the on-screen shots, like the computer or not, not the computer, but the enterprise's main view screen and, you know, describing the, the simulations, the Genesis effect on the planet, you know, that whole, yeah. uh, composition. But I think in a way, Tron is almost more impressive because it is merging live action and which is, I mean, that's Disney's bread and butter. They've been doing it since Mary Poppins and like they, if any company is going to handle that, it's going to be Disney. Well, what's, what's crazy to me and something that I didn't realize when I was younger is that there's no CG and live action. That's true. In the same shot. And it's just amazing how, how well, they tricked your brain into mm-hmm. thinking how integrated everything is or was, you know, because whenever you see a person, a live action person, it's, it's an animated background as in like hand drawn. Right. And it's not, and it, it's, you know, like you said, like with Mary Poppins, it's that kind of, it's, it's, it's that kind of integration. And like so many people were like me who didn't just didn't, your brain got tricked. And, and then when you read about the lengths that they went to, to get the glow on their suits, it's insanity. Yeah, it's it, insanity. It does not sound fun. <laughs> how they composited at sometimes 16 to 24 layers of film and then shone a light through a gel as the film was running to get that unique effect. That's just crazy town. It well, is. I think that's also why the light cycle of all the CG moments really stand out is because it is the closest to having like they trick again, they're tricking you, but there's those few shots where it they're inside the light cycle and you see yeah. it. And again, that's obviously a very tight close-up shot and not CG animated. It's like traditionally animated over them inside the cockpit, but you see the light on the window go. Yeah. <laughs> but it's intercut so perfectly that you you would almost believe like, oh no, that was CG around this. Like, no, remember not, there's no shots of both at the same time. So, so let me ask this question because I, I think it, you know, look at the work of directors sort of thing. Lisberger, obviously, like I said, it's not a name that people really toss around. They might talk about Tron, but they don't talk about the director. Is this simply something where, Disney manages to get a director. I honestly don't. I'm asking the question because I, I looked around. I, I this, don't quite know. Is this just they needed somebody that could just turn the camera on and film people? Or was this really a visionary thing and he just doesn't get enough name credit? This this Tron was his baby. Yeah. He shopped this around. And it he wasn't until they got the, techn- the technology, the look, put a lot of time and money into the R&D. And it didn't go quite as far as it needed to. But then, yeah, Disney was like, okay, let's make this a picture. Let's put the actual money behind it that it needs to to come together. So, so it wasn't it simply Disney finding the director. It was the director finding Disney. Mm-hmm. But was it, is this a case of because the movie bombs, that's why his name is sort of just lost to the oh. mists of time is what I'm saying. Like you would think even if the movie bombs, if he's, if he's a great director, he, the the work experience would have been such that that he his name at least would have opened some doors for him where people would said hey yeah tough break kid but you got some you got some chops come on board or is he is it is it that the production was so difficult is it that he's a victim of the tumult at Disney and there was nobody left to vouch for him after oh. Eisner comes in and cleans house that that probably is it yeah. right there is that Eisner sees his name on a list with a negative number attached to it. Mm. And then, and then that's it uh, well, because it, it's well, not until with, you know, there wasn't a negative number though. Like I know we, and I agree, like it didn't do very well, but like it, maybe it's a case again of like overspending on marketing, but I look at the, the, the budget for it and the, you know, the, the budget is listed um, at, I think it was like 12 million and it made like 50. So it, it made money. 
it didn't but i think they were thinking it was going to be like in the hundreds of millions so it's i it feels like it would it underperformed for their expectations i don't feel like it flopped but at least on a dollar for dollar amount I, I think I think that's a that's an important distinction. I think that there are so many pre-production costs. Like it's sort of like Superman Returns, technically, is a bomb, but it's because they wrapped up all of the the different development costs in it leading up to its release. And I think they pulled right. the same sort of shenanigans with like Tron Legacy and stuff like that, where it's that Hollywood accounting shell game that goes on. And so, yeah, there's there's no know. way even in '82 that 12 million was the only number associated with Tron. Right. Right. Like there, like, like John, like you said, like the pre-production costs, the development costs, because a lot of this was happening before they were ever actually shooting. And like, sometimes pre-production costs get a little muddled and like, sometimes, um, they're like, sometimes you, a, a company can have a pre-production pool. They're like, this is how much money we have to pre-produce movies for the year. And, it and sucks some, up all the money. Yeah, some gets the lion's share, some doesn't. You know, it. It. it, I'm not saying that this is across the board. I'm just saying sometimes that did happen, especially back then. Um, So it's it's so hard. Like Hollywood accounting is just it's just an absolute nightmare. Yeah, and I could also again see it as it's all optics it's like oh we thought this movie was going to cost 10 and it cost 17 and we thought it was going to make 100 and it made 50 so again on on one side of the column you're like well it cost 17 it made 50 that's good but if you thought it was going to cost 10 and make and make 100 that's bad it's yeah it's all hollywood accounting but um you know hey if the mcp hadn't absorbed that accounting program and it could have just been left to do its job then we wouldn't have had that problem yes one thing that i didn't another thing that i didn't realize as a kid that i didn't really wrap my head around is when uh the mcp starts talking about attacking the pentagon and the kremlin (laughs) yeah and he's gonna do it we got some war game stuff yeah yeah i mean if it wasn't for Kevin Flynn and Tron and Clue and everything like that. That's a good like, point. Th- we could have had World War Three. <laughs> no, I think that I think that Master Control viewed itself as ensuring that World War Three wouldn't happen because he would he could run it better. It, yeah. Well, it would be able to threaten all of us into subjugation, sort of thing. Uh, okay. Okay. Because since it's a Disney film. I don't think we're going full Skynet here. I think it's a hostage <laughs> situation as opposed to just wiping everybody out. And that even in and of itself, Tron and the ter- and the original Terminator, they're sort of, you know, blood brothers in terms of the angst that is starting to happen because the computer revolution is just starting. And I think very much reflected in this and as well as in the Terminator, obviously, uh, with, you know, with acknowledgement of the works of Harlan Ellison. I want to make sure I say that. And, you know, you have that sort of angst that's really getting ramped up because people are becoming aware of computers. They still don't understand them. The, yeah. the, this movie doesn't exactly you know. help people understand computers. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I not would not, really. uh, in a fantasy way. Yeah. But, uh, this is, this kind of feels like, you know, my grandfather oh. being like, wait, so there aren't little men inside the computer. It's like, no, no grandpa. There's, but, but, it, there's but not. at the same time, at the same time there, you know, with the digitizing of, you know, the orange and Kevin Flynn himself and everything like that, you also see reflected our outsized expectations of things that would happen. Right. It's just like what's going on now where people are like chat GPT is a, no, it's a language prediction model. Okay. Like the thing's not actually thinking. Right. It's that you, 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 that's, that's not how it's working, but it's so much easier to say AI and people are like, yeah, that's scary. Well, well, speaking of names, I'm kind of glad that this was the era that uh, programs were called programs. Cause can you imagine this movie made if everything was called an app? Cause that's (laughs) what it's called now. (laughs) I remember when apps were applications and then Apple was like, no, that's too long. We're going to call them apps. And now everything is an app. And yes, yeah, I, I know nobody wants that. Uh, well, let's talk some of the, some of the characters. So we have Jeff Bridges, the dude, Kevin Flynn himself, who apparently just needs to find a memory and, uh, he can become a millionaire. I guess that's just, that's the, the that's what I took away from the plot, but and, no, and I by think, movie logic, yeah, by movie he, logic, cause apparently because he can't delete he, it. Like that, well, is it possible? It's somewhere in the system. 
deleting no, doesn't like, happen. It's even a more printout. You can't fake a printout. We that's all true. know that's hard evidence. That's <laughs> true. A- appar- apparently, so true. in the novel, like there was way more information, like on the oh, printout. Like so it like, was like they simplified dates it in IP addresses and and everything okay. like that. Like there was actual. Proof. It's just basically then, printing out. Kevin Flynn did it. It's his. <laughs> He's. Give him money. Oh, well, the MCP said so. It's yeah. go take but that no, to the bank. But that, that's what I was talking about. Like with, with movie logic <laughs> is that all of a sudden he's the executive VP. Yeah. Like, 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 mm-hmm. like I'm sure the board is like, well, the MCP told us uh, that you're the new uh, board member. It's yeah, like, no, like you, you works. defeated the bad guy who had this position. So now there can be only one. And so you assume his power. Jeez. Oh, well, uh, right. That's yeah. that's how the corporate structure works, according <laughs> yeah. to television. Yeah. Listen, that's not just Tron. Isn't that's, that happened? What happened with Bob Chapek? It's the exact same thing. The MCP booted him out, and Bob came back. No, I'm just kidding. That's, no, I just want to say I did like Bob Chapek's hairstyle. I, I I did like it better than Iger's hairstyle. But I, you know, he was. Uh, yeah, that's a whole. That's because it's a your hairstyle, John. Yes, that's true. That's exactly what I was. Yes, exactly true. But I, I think that. But what do you guys think of of Jeff Bridges though? Like, is he is he a good everyman? Is he a good uh, lens that we see this world through? Because uh, that's really his role. Like, he's the man out of water when he's in the computer program. Yeah, I, think I mean, it, it works. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. No, I, I, I think we're going to agree. It, it works. It works reasonably well. You need your your outside character that you can introduce the world to, and there's a reason he doesn't understand everything that's going on. So we need him there so that we can start. They can explain it to us without making it sound clunky and weird. And so I, I think as a character, it's effective. I, I think that the the challenge that doesn't quite get um you know get met is introducing him as clue and as kevin flynn early and then having him be kevin flynn and then become clue i think that gets a little muddled mm. in terms of structure and balance between the characters and i could understand i think as a kid i didn't really get that clue wasn't him when he crashed into the wall if like it was very confusing as a kid where it's like wait didn't he die earlier so i think maybe that could have been handled better but i think overall once the story finds its footing then yeah i think it works it works reasonably and the clue stuff was produced earlier on when because initially all of the good guys were supposed to be yellow and the bad guys are supposed to be blue and they flipped it so that's why clue is yellow and even though all the bad guys are red which works out great for legacy because uh, he kind of goes that way and uh, spoilers <laughs> and also um, like in the trailer that they made in the original trailer the MCP is blue that's right it is blue You're and that, right. o- oh, yeah. that always threw me whenever I watched whenever I saw it um, yeah. but yeah sure. but like for me to answer your question Darren I, I, I think I loved the levity that bridges yeah. brings because he's like on a trip he's just on a what is yeah. going on here we go because this movie could have been in danger of taking itself way too seriously if it wasn't for jeff bridges because bruce Boxleitner and cindy morgan are great but they have to be they have to be the straight man they have to be the straight man they're the professionals their jobs are on the line and so they're taking this seriously they're helping out a friend and um Flynn is the boy who never really grew up. You know, he's he's yeah. he's the the child who wants to stay a child and just have fun and play video games, but he also wants what's his. And I think this is exemplified when they're when him and um oh what's what's Cindy Morgan's character's name in the real world? I can never remember. But uh when when they're going through the data center and he's just like he's like doing that Bugs Bunny you know, like walk and then he hides behind one of the, one of the modules and then gets behind her and, and, and scares her. Like there was no reason for him to do that. That didn't advance uh, the plot, sorry, but it, Laura, Laura, was Laura, her. thank you. Yeah. It, but it gave great, a character builder moment. Yeah. Um, for, still, for Kevin like, Flynn. They're sneaking in life and death situation or not life and death, but like, yeah, he's like <laughs> playing hide and seek. 
yeah. he's flirting with her is what he's doing and it's 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 great and then that translates into the grid and when he says stuff like hooray for our side <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah that's true yeah no he yeah i think you totally nailed it tristan where he brings that levity and that's important too because if he if he went full on like the nerd fanboy from Galaxy Quest level of like, I'm in the computer. So that means this is a transistor and this is, you know, meaning like he's talking high tech the entire time. I don't think it would have worked. Did that example not make sense? No, the the, the example makes sense. I, I get what you're saying. If he, if he had been too enamored of the world he finds himself in, yes, right. I agree. It, it totally doesn't, it totally doesn't oh, work. He yeah. needs to be that sort of childish, exuberant right. being that that is just he's sort still of speaking at a common man world. level. He's not like a ace programmer, and he's you know. Then we get the movie like Hackers, and it's like no. Uh, but I think also what 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 I, I think I think what what you're hitting on as well, Darren, is that I think you you move it forward to when people have a little bit more of a footing and a little little bit less fantasy about how computers work you're going to have less of a flynn the magician inside the computer realm and more of a i know what to do and have like you know fake coding like in uh uh swordfish or something like that where where he's like yeah i know how to code this thing just right and he's had a fake terminal and all of those sorts of things it's a unix system i was gonna say i'm just thinking jurassic park and i'm like that Uh. was oh man it's like well it's a it's a it's a graphical user interface is, is what it is, but sure. Okay. Yeah. It's an interactive CD. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) But, but I do, I, I think, I think that um, if Flynn had gone down that more, you know, indulged more of the, he's a programmer, programmer type of guy thrilled about where he is. I think you also have that impulse to turn him into typing code on screen in the computer universe to change stuff around he's like like, oh as a user i have this magical ability to pull up a keyboard anywhere and alter the the environment like that could have easily gone sideways if they overuse it uh but no instead he he does have power but he doesn't realize it like he can reactivate the recognizer and he can bring programs back online if he's near him and he could divert the energy beam like yes we've established no programs can do that so only because he's a user program can he do that. But yeah. Well, I and I also think that one of the one of the best bits, one of the most memorable bits in the entire movie is with the bit. Yes. yes. No. That no. bridges brings the necessary energy for that moment to work. You need somebody that is doing what he's doing for that to be a cute comical sort of thing. And again, it's a very classic Disney humor sort of moment going on there. And so I, I think that his characterization what of do you Flynn, think, Bob, ah, we need a plush toy of some kind. Ah, just make a bit. Okay. Yes. Well, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, what's, uh, let's go on to, to Bruce, uh, Boxleitner. I mean, gosh, he, we talk about, it's so funny. You talk about like the straight man, but he commits to this role in a way that like nobody else does. And, I mean, we'll again see his return in, in Tron Legacy. Um, I love the little Easter egg, obviously, after the fact, but the fact that uh, both Bruce and Peter Jurassic are in this movie as they fight each other in the, the disc wars. So Peter Jurassic, also known as uh, his role from Babylon 5. So you have two Babylon 5 characters or actors playing uh, against each other. But yeah, man, he... I, when I need someone who commits to a role, I think of this because he is just, he is Tron. He is, he is Tron when he's outside the computer. He is always Tron. Uh, but uh, John, what did you think of, of Bruce's performance? I mean, Box Leitner is, I mean, he, he I, I'm looking it up on IMDb right now, but he has something like 132 acting credits at this point in his career by, by 2023. Would I expect anything less from somebody that is, <laughs> he's a pro. He knows how to show up, hit his mark and give the director what he's asking for. Yeah. And it's like, so he walks on and I think it's a, a terrific attribute to the film 
because you're talking about, well, he's playing this character. He's very clearly defined. If Tron doesn't work, the name is the title of the movie. If Tron doesn't work, the movie doesn't work. Kevin Flynn is allowed to be carefree and silly because, because Tron is not because yeah. Bruce Boxleitner anchors him and gives the sense of stakes and importance to, you know, everything that's going on around them. I love the love that you gave Boxleitner because I always feel like outside of the industry, he's unappreciated. But within the industry, he is because he is exactly that person that you described. He shows up, he knows his lines, hits his mark, gives that charisma that's needed, goes home. And it, he's not a movie star. He's not, he's, he's not a TV star. Like he's, he's not a mega star. But in the genre w- realm, we all know him. We all love him. And he gets tons of work all the time. So he must have a fantastic reputation. And it's And be good to work with. And be good to, mm-hmm. exactly, and be good to work with, and and so when when he when he shows up in this, like I, I thought he did a great job as in the real world and on the grid, and I felt like it was different enough, but not completely polar opposites. Where like you still, right. I'm a nerd in real life, but in the computer, I'm the suave yeah. Tron mm-hmm. that everybody loves. Like no, not not quite. No, like this, like he. Yeah, it, it it wasn't polar opposites, and it it absolutely worked. And it was even it's not called Kevin. The movie's not called Flynn. You know, it's it it's it's called Tron. And right. you need someone who is that hero esque protagonist, where like Flynn is the hero and in, in the protagonist of our story. Tron is kind of the archetype. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, and and I I also you know a bit on on the directing again. I, and this is maybe more just the story, but I, I like the fact that once we go in the computer, we're in the computer. We don't leave it until he comes out at the end. Files are in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that I, I would feel like nowadays it would be so easy to be like, we want to tell a dual story and we're intercutting inside, outside. And it, it works so well from that from the moment we're in, we're, we're plugged in. We, we stay there the entire time uh, until. And even he, when Tron talks to his user, we just yeah. hear him. Like we don't, we don't see him. We're not at his desk. We're not at his cubicle. We just, we just hear his voice. It's great. It's great. And it also, cause it, it kind of re- helps me remember that this is a program. This is a digital world. So the, again, the moment that, that Flynn gets digitized the entire span of that part of the movie inside the computer probably took 10 seconds, a minute. Like it, it, it didn't take the, the days or the hours. It felt like time passed. So when they're all like, Oh, I got to get to that IO tower to, uh, you know, to, to communicate with my user, I'm picturing in the real world, you know, uh, you know, Alan's like about to hit the enter key, like, right. you know, cause like, that's how it's moving. It's, it's yes. different timescales. If, if, if Christopher Nolan did this movie, you oh, would have gosh. an entire subplot of just Alan going to hit the enter key. <laughs> that would just be going through the entire film. He's um, putting it, putting in my yeah. password. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one, just the sound. One of minute the is one, in this one. Is one min- millisecond inside. Uh, I, 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 but the thing is, while we're talking about, you know, the, the, the actors, um, uh, you know, it, it is really worth pointing out that Cindy Morgan, uh, who plays um, uh, Laura Yori in, in here, um, she was in Caddyshack as uh, Lacey Underall before this. And I, it, in a sense, it, it's one of those things where I think that it's a testament to how versatile actors and actresses need to be that she can go from this zany comedy movie that is, you know, it, it is a, uh, you know, uh, an absolute farce of a movie. It, it's crazy. It's all over the board. Everybody's playing caricatures. And then she actually has a pretty rooted role here. And it's, you know, it's two years later, like, and it's the same actress. Like she just turns it on, turns it off sort of thing. And I think that unfortunately, because Tron 
is one of those things where yes, it gets respect from some people, but not hasn't been seen by a ton of other people considered a flop, all that sort of thing. I think that she gets overlooked a lot of times because she is there. She is important and she is, you know, key to the plot. Is she the most important character? I'm sure that if they were to remake the movie today, probably there would be a little bit more balance given to the characters and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, it'd be more the trio. Whereas we got more of the trio with, uh, Rom. Right. Uh, or was it Ram? Ram. I always mix them up. Yeah, Ram. Uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, the it. That's another interesting part of this whole story is the love triangle esque, like the fact that our hero isn't the guy that's connected with the girl, but mm-hmm. he's kind of still pursuing her. But he's she's obviously with Alan. Like it's it's kind of and they had a previous relationship. Like it's it's an odd choice i i don't really know what to make of it it was also weird in the grid too. yes yes like where she's like I never he, he's understood like that. he's like nice software basically is what basically saying and and then trons gets in front of him like don't you say that about my girl like all that's implied and i'm like what what's happening right now and then they kiss at the end and it's like a super it's this isn't like a friendship kiss or a good luck kiss this is that was a very romantic kiss and then he's gone and she's going to go back it it was weird like i understood it in the real world i got it but in the grid it was just 10 times more confusing it was clunky and yeah. i think that i think that that if there's anything that hamstrings this movie and makes it difficult for audiences aside from some of the stuff we talked about earlier it is that fact that that is one of those things where it feels like it needs a bit more refinement and there's too much concern with making the te- it's that it's that eternal balance with a movie like this you're you've got to be concerned with making the technology work and making the visuals work but you also have to be concerned with making that aspect of the story work sufficiently and you can gloss over it one way there there are ways to make this work with the right balance of certain things as it stands, but I don't think it ever hits that necessary state. I think Darren, what you're talking about where, you know, Ram becomes part of the trio. I think it actually winds up being a more cohesive and accessible story. If she is with them the whole time. And we have that sort of Han, Luke and Leia original star Wars love triangle, you know, push and pull happening where you see a female lead who, you know, finds merit in, in both the male leads, but which one, you know, has the, the spark, if you will, that sort of thing. Yeah. I I did feel that when Yuri showed up, it felt, it felt a little forced. Like I get, I get why she's there, but the place she shows up with the solar sailor, it kind of felt like, Oh yeah, well we need a program here. Uh let's make it her and played by this act. Like it it didn't necessarily feel connected with the way the story was going. Uh I mean like Dumont yeah. makes sense because he's the Guardian program written by by uh Dr. Gibbs. I, I don't know, it felt I always felt a little bit like Yuri was just kind of tacked on in her piece in the greater adventure inside the computer. Well, let me go ahead and ask this. I mean, this movie is barely over an hour and a half. Is this a movie where you think they could have, should have given it another 10 minutes? Or do you think that running time wasn't going to do anything to improve this? This was just something where if with this draft of the script, if you added 10 minutes, it would actually just become a little bit unbearable. Or, you know, is, is there anything where more screen time helps this film. It's hard to say. I feel like it's almost a non-starter because this type of production, like, oh, just adding 10 minutes of in-computer footage, like that's months of work. So what I'm saying is I think even if they had wanted to flush you know, flesh more of that relationship out or change part of it, you're probably so locked into the story and the storyboards and the progression because you're producing all these effects at the same time. So I, 
I don't think, and again, this is just kind of a gut feel, but I don't think they had very much flexibility at all on this production. It probably had to be because they're pushing so many boundaries to, to get it made. Now that's just a, an assumption, but that's, that's how it feels. Well, I, I mean, I, I will also say though, because of the tumult at Disney, I have no idea whether this would have applied here, but I know that for instance, with black cauldron, they actually had stuff cut out after the final cut because they came in and they said, look, we're just going to cut the time down. And so there, there are actually some transitions where they're lost to time where there was more finished film. And then the brass said, no, 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 cut 10 minutes out. And they just pulled it out and walked away sort of thing. I have no idea if that's, that's anything that happened here. I guess maybe I need to read more of the making. There was also the director's guild of America had a strike during production, which, you know, always makes it easier to produce Mm. something. Um, What do you, what are your Uh, thoughts, Justin? There, there was a deleted scene that had more Yuri in it, but it was really weird and awkward. It, It would have made it even worse because they tried to cement the relationship between Tron and her even more and she like changed outfits and then became like a butterfly thing. That's how it was. Weird. <laughs> it, I, I could be misremembering it, but I remember like it's probably on YouTube, but it was friggin' weird. So I, to answer your question, John, I don't think 10 minutes would have fixed it because I think this movie is a tight 90 minutes. There is a few points when I'm like, okay, our momentum has ground to a halt. Yes. Um, and so I don't think adding time would have fixed that. Basically, Yuri should have been Ram. I, I think that's the only way to really flesh out the character is not add time, but just replace that's Ram. Fair. And I, I, I mean, I think Ram is a thankless role that was done really well by that actor. Mm, uh, yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, I think in order to get that dynamic of two men and one woman that works really well in film, uh, like and John, you cited examples, and also to kind of mirror the real world a little bit more. It should have been Yuri. Wait, so you're saying it should have been Ram or it should have been Yuri? Yuri, like no, like Ram's oh. character should have been Yuri. Got it, got it. Yeah, I mean, I could almost go the other way because Ram was the true believer of the users, like, and they kind of explore that a little bit, but. I think that would have been interesting to see more of, but I agree for to have that be the trio in the real world. And then it doesn't end up the trio until like three quarters through the digital adventure doesn't work as well. Um, And again, maybe that's why I said it feels weird that she all of a sudden, Oh yeah, we're at the solar sailor and she's the program. Okay. Like she should have been in there sooner. Also, one thing one thing that bothers me to this day from the first time I saw it or around the first time I saw it whenever I was young to today, why the friggin' hell do we have grid bugs? I was I, just thinking this. No, no, I was just thinking this. It's because somebody made that shot and spent so much time and money on it. They were like, well, we have to keep it because otherwise we've literally thrown away this time and money. It's totally what it feels like. Cause it's like, Hey, watch out. If we <laughs> fall down, those grid bugs will get us. It's such a, why is, I totally agree. It's like, why is this in here? <laughs> I would throw out there that the only reason they exist is because somebody heard that computers had bugs and they said, yeah, bugs. That's what we got to have at this part. Well, and it's it's traditionally animated though. Those aren't CG. I'm pretty sure they're not CG characters. So, I'm pretty sure may- it's traditional 2D. Maybe maybe they needed an extra 20 seconds of runtime to make something balance, and they kept it. in. I don't. I totally agree with you though, Tristan. It feels. Why is this still? I I honestly, it's got to be money and sunk cost, where people were like, "Well, we can't take it out. We spent two months animating it for some who knows reason," but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, as we're rounding third, heading towards our IO tower to communicate our ratings out to our users. Um, and of course, as we traditionally do when we wrap up with our 
uh, ratings. We are allowed to share any other things that we have missed or haven't spoken on with this particular program. Uh, but John, let's start with you. Uh, how many IO towers are you giving Tron from 1982? Now, as I love to say, regardless of what my stars rating or my IO towers rating is, it's a five with how much love I have for it. I love this film. I watch, I rewatch it regularly, not as regularly as other things, but I, I do rewatch it on a fairly regular basis where I just, it just has that magical pull for me. There are plenty of movies I saw as a kid, like Iron Eagle, where I don't rewatch them ever again. Cause the, the, you know, I don't want to, you know, although the theme song for that is really great, but, I think that this is just something where I'll always feel that pull. I always have trouble giving it a rating specifically because I have that affection for it. And sometimes I feel like I'm going too harsh because I'm trying to overcompensate for it. And then sometimes I feel like I'm being too easy on it because I don't want to overcompensate. So I'm going to say at the end of all of that, that after this specific viewing, and this does fluctuate over time, I'm going to wind up giving it a four. I usually end somewhere either at a three, three and a half or four, depending on how grumpy I am. And I know that's a lot of fluctuation, but just recognizing everything that it gives and accomplishes and seeing it for that sort of sense of wonder and promise about what computers were going to give, as opposed to all of the flame wars I went through in the Usenet days of the early days of the internet, I'll go ahead and give it a four this time. Because it gets extra credit for being just so darn charming. No, it's true. Well, uh, Tristan, your decision gate is up, and I can spare you no more time. Uh, what is your rating for this viewing of Tron? Uh, one thing that I want to mention, like, upon this viewing, when I watch this, and you guys might laugh at me, the listeners may laugh at me, but I feel like... If this movie was released today, it, it would do just fine. And I'm talking about... It, kind of retro era yeah. kind of feel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like with the same type of graphics, same type of music, same type of acting, everything like that. I feel like if it just like minor things, of course, would be changed. Like the matting would be a little bit better. Like, you know, like the, the outlines would be would be a little bit crisper, just things like that. But if it was the same art direction, costuming, everything else, I really feel like this would not be a joke. I, I, I think that this, this nails the style and the tone so well for its time. It knows what it is. And so it doesn't, again, I, this may, you may think I'm sounding ridiculous here, but it, this doesn't date itself that well because it has such a unique style. It doesn't. Yeah, I agree. And like, yes, if it was made today, it would look like Tron Legacy. You know, like we all know that, like it would look, it would look more like Tron Legacy than it does Tron. But if you wanted to give it a retro feel of the burgeoning days of computers, this is what you would make it look like. And I think the beauty of that is that there is no uncanny valley. There's no mm. no there's there's mm -hmm. no CGI in the grid that's trying to be life. There's no lawnmower man special effects. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly right, Darren. Thank you so much for bringing that up. There's no lawnmower man special effects. Yeah, cuz that like dates lawnmower man like an anchor around its neck and drags The it only down. thing yeah. that I think is a little that's a little weird and dated is the MCP face. I was, I was thinking the MCP face. Yeah. Like, I think that's the only thing. That's the only time that we really see a face with eyes and a mouth and everything like that in the grid. That's computer animated. And like, if, if it had been a waveform that only fluctuated when it talked, like no, yeah. uh, anthropomorphic at all. I think that would have been even better. Ab absolutely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And I, I, and how rare is that for a special effects movie? To say like, oh, this is kind of timeless because of the rudimentary graphics that it is and because of the absence of the Uncanny Valley. And it's just, I, I'm kind of like John here where um, this is a five star movie for me when it comes to enjoyment. But it's, it's 
almost impossible for me to take off my rose-colored glasses because I was raised on this movie. My dad loves this movie. I have so many fond memories of this movie. But watching it this time, I really tried to have a critical eye and look at it outside of myself. And um, with with the pacing issues that we kind of talked about, where we didn't really nail it specifically, but like with Ram in the middle, when he dies, or when like they find the 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 energy water and everything like that like that just grinds the movie to a halt like oh god like I, I think those are fun scenes but at the same time you're like oh my gosh okay you don't have a lot of time to work with you don't have a lot of real estate and like the grid the friggin' grid bugs um the the lack of that threes dynamic um yeah it's just like a, i i think there's there's certain thing there's a lot that works and there's some that doesn't like when you look at the behind the scenes of it and look at the the work that went into it, which we talked about, like with the compositing and the hand painting. It just is insane how much of a love letter this is uh, to sci-fi and to technology. I give this four grid bugs out of five because I I can't imagine giving it any less. I like I know that this this movie was not appreciated in its time. It wasn't until the the home video market. And one thing I do want to say is I watched this on the 2011 Blu-ray. That's, that was the an anniversary edition. Holy crap. So much love and attention to detail was put into that transfer. That is a friggin' good transfer. It is crisp. It is clean. It is, you can really tell that they shot this on 65 millimeter. And now obviously it's a lot easier to restore something when you have a large format, even though it's, you know, from 1982. It's, if you haven't seen this on Blu-ray, like watch it on Blu-ray or at least watch it on Disney plus if you can. No, yeah, I it, you know it makes me think when we were talking about uh, Dante of the '80s and like explorers, like I, I, I there's a huge dose. Uh, now that was a few years later in '85, but there's a huge dose of like nostalgia and just that era, that mid early '80s of just trying new things and and a bit of fantasy again. Like the technology is there, but the man pulled into the computer is fantastical. And that's a fun aspect of the story. I, I think I agree with everything you guys are saying. It, it is a, for what it is. I mean, you even said it, Tristan on it, it. It shows up on every pivotal moment of special effect reel. Like it has to, you can't not count Tron. Um, I'm sure it exists out there. I want to kind of go look and find someone who has edited a trailer of Tron using Tron legacy music. Cause I think that would be amazing and I'm sure someone's already done it, but that I think would be even more hype. Did you see the, somebody did that with uh, star Trek, the motion picture with Tron legacy music with Tron legacy music. Oh, okay. And you they cut said, it down. It's like a, it's 15 minutes. I think it's Ooh. 15 minutes long, so they cut it down just to the core story, and they use Tron Legacy music. It's pretty cool. Okay, you got to send that to us because we'll we'll want to watch that. But yeah, it's just it's such a fun movie, and it it nails world building. Like we all laud, you know, Tron Legacy for for what it is, and, and Tron Legacy is a great film. But Tron Legacy only exists because Tron created this amazing adventure and this world inside the computer that fascinated us for a generation so that when another group of filmmakers came through they're like we want to make this and <clears throat> so yeah, there's not a lot of movies really that are that strong in creating such a powerful mythos and and but simplified like i'm i'm using these grandiose terms but it's really simple at its core which is really fun uh and don't put uh your desk in front of lasers i think we learned all that's a very important thing that we learned about this but no i i'm i'm staying on the io train and i'm gonna also give it a four not that i don't think it's a five level movie it's just it, it is so solid and fun to enjoy. I can show it to my kids. Like there's nothing, there's nothing bad in this movie. It's so eighties. Apparently, apparently the only reason why it's rated PG is because of Sark's um, oh, brain come out of yeah. his head. And it was clock parts. It was colored clock. Parts yeah. So it's practically 
G. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um well, and then you know, Finn yelling in the very beginning is terrifying. So we all we all know that. But uh or clue, I should say. But no, I think um it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I I honestly don't remember if I've shown it to my kids. I probably have once upon a time, but it's I think it's time again for them to journey into the into the computer. They'll probably never look at their Chromebooks the same way again. But uh, uh, but all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us in our journey into the computer for Tron from 1982. As we enter the wing of Tron next week, we'll be traveling to 2010 with Tron Legacy. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.